You're listening to Irish Radio Canada at home and abroad, and the connections between Ireland and Canada, we all know, go back hundreds of years. And no closer are the relationships are no longer, and I mean longer in time, than between the southeast of Ireland and Newfoundland. And a wonderful new book has been published by John Mannion, and John is a wonder, I have to say this is where we leave Waterford on the east coast but John is from County Galway um, in the north section of County Galway close to the Mayo border and uh, we always give Galway high mention and he has published a new book Waterford's Maritime World at the ledger of Walter Butler 1750 to 1757 and uh, we're going to hear from John and hear the close connections that John has with Waterford and what inspired this? John, thanks a million for taking the time to come along. And I'm looking forward to learning all about the what got you on this and where you got it and where it's coming from, etc. And what it is doing to strengthen the relationship, particularly between Newfoundland and Waterford. Thanks a million for coming along. You're from Dunmore County, Galway. Yes. Because that's the most important thing we have to get out there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I suppose. <laughs> I came to I came to Canada in 1965 to Toronto. Right. I, I went to University College Dublin before I came to the University of Toronto, and uh, I came to study the Irish in Canada in the 19th century, the immigration, the immigrants, and their early descendants. And uh, uh, this was at the University of Toronto. Uh, I don't think I knew anything about Newfoundland when I came to Canada, even though I'm a, a geographer. Uh, I remember stuff about maybe icebergs and uh, and whales and whatever. That that was it. So in, at, in Toronto, when I met my supervisor, I um, told him my interest in Irish tradition in Newfoundland and the, the immigrants and what traditions they brought over and how they adapted in eastern Canada. And... Uh, he told me about Newfoundland. He, he said that, you know, that Newfoundland, the accent is still as Irish as can be, and the people look Irish. And uh, so that's how I got into Newfoundland via Toronto. And then we came here in 1967 to continue to do my research. And uh, 67, 68, then back to Toronto, and then I wrote up my PhD. And then I was hired by Memorial University uh, in 1969, and taught for, the, for all my life at the university. Was it a bit like going home then when you went to Newfoundland? Very much. And it's still like we feel at home. It, it's, everybody who comes here from, the, let's say, the mainland, from central Canada, uh, and the first thing they notice is the, the accent and the look of the people and the, the, the whole atmosphere is so, so very Irish. Uh, they haven't changed that much, unlike let's say, Quebec or Ontario, where at least the accent, you know, of the 19th century Irish immigrants, be they from Ulster or from the South, uh, is, go is go gone. And uh, I got run little bits of the of the Cork accent up in Peterborough, Ontario, where I began my field work, and uh, a heavy Cork, North Cork um, settlement there. And I could get with the old people, this is, I'm talking now, 1960. Six, 1967, 1968, when I would interview um, people up in um, Ennismore and Douro and, and um, Downeyville and so forth, 
the, the old men then, born in the 1880s and 90s, had a hint of a, of a, of a Cork accent, all right. But that, even that's gone now. Mm-hmm. But here, the accent is just as Irish as, as mine. It's, uh, you know, and they're, that's after seven, eight, nine generations. You know, Newfoundland was a, the first place to be settled by, by Irish, by Catholic Irish, uh, in the early 18th century, beginning about 1715, 1720, they came as part of the seasonal fishery. That's what this book, Water Butter, is about in 1750. And they um, continued right through the 18th century. Initially, they would come just for the season. They would leave Waterford and its hinterland, southwest Wexford and south Carlow and south Kilkenny, southeast Tipperary, all of County Waterford, and even southeast Cork. And they would come here for a season, fish, and then go home. And the Walter Butler book uh, picks up the beginnings of the very beginnings of that, of Irish migration and, and seasonal presence in the fishery. Walter Butler was a, a Waterford City sea captain, shipmaster, who in 1750 went to Bordeaux and purchased a ship, which he called the Catherine, after named after his wife Catherine Welsh of Waterford. Uh, he hired his men in Waterford, loaded the ship with wine and brandy and French produce, sailed to Waterford, sold the produce, and then in in the spring of the winter and spring of 1751, uh, prepared for his first voyage to Newfoundland. So he hired about eight to ten sailors, uh, all from Waterford. We have their names, and he sailed. They, they departed for the fishery in April of 1751. He had loaded the vessel up with the, the standard Waterford provisions that the Waterford merchants were sending to Newfoundland at the time. Uh, pork, beef, butter, these are salt provisions, bread, oatmeal, uh, beer, peas, uh, and so on. And this was food for the fishery, food for his own men, but also to sell to Newfoundland fishermen uh, planters and buy and procure fish. So, so that's that's the story. So, John, when you said that, then was there a commercial trade plying between Ireland and Newfoundland prior oh, yeah. to this? Yes, from about 1675, the beginnings of the it was it began with the salt provisions trade, and it operated as follows: the ships from the west country of England from Devon and Dorset, especially South Devon, Dartmouth and Exeter, these places, would, with English ship owners and shipmasters, would call into Waterford and indeed to Yall and to Cork and would pick up these provisions that I've mentioned, the salt provisions, to, fi- to victual the fishery. And they would also begin to pick up passengers for the fishery. So hence the Irish migration. The salt provisions trade and the Irish passenger trade, traffic out of Waterford, the migrants, went hand in hand. And this is the oldest um, oldest record of a, a regular connection between Ireland and Canada, is the, the Newfoundland fishery of the late 17th and early 18th century, connecting Waterford, Cork and Yaw with the island of Newfoundland. So it's very, very old. So I would imagine then that the... Commer- the 
shipping trade or the trade the trade side of shipping would have been the ones that would have reported back that the fisheries on the Grand Banks were as rich as there were, which would have given Walter Butler the knowledge to say this is, this is yeah. where we need to go. By the time Walter Butler, who is first recorded as a ship captain in Waterford in 1747. Now, I don't know what age the man was, uh, you know, but probably about 35 or 40 at that stage. And he most likely had been to Newfoundland, maybe even as a mariner, as a sailor, before he graduated to becoming a ship captain. He certainly had to trade someplace. He'd be going to uh, Spain and Portugal and France and England uh, and so he, by the time he comes on board, like the, the, the trade with Newfoundland is, is very regular between Waterford and Newfoundland, and it's growing fairly rapidly by 1750. And the migration really begins, and settlement, that is, the, the, the young Irishmen who came and didn't go home, they stayed married and had families. It all begins, it basically begins in the 1750s. That's when Butler was in action. So he... Most of his, the profits from his trade was not from selling provisions so much or, or selling fish. It was bringing passengers. He was, he was um, at the center of a, a great migration. He would take on 80 to maybe 100 men in Waterford in the spring for the fishery. Now, these men would not work for him. They would work for English uh, planters, uh, fishermen, uh, and he was just simply charged the fare was whatever three pounds out and thirty shillings home from from Waterford to Newfoundland and home, and uh, he would just take the, take the passengers out and he'd also take them home. In mm-hmm. 1751, he had sixty passengers aboard, and he and in the fall he took fifty nine home, but they wouldn't be the same all the same men. They'd be other men, you know. But that, that's how it works. So he he's at the heart of the Irish diaspora. And of course, and back at that time, there was no such thing as having to apply for a visa or permanent. No, 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 nothing at all. <laughs> and passenger lists were very rare, by the way, and, and remained rare, uh, which is a pity. They, they, it was an informal um, system where you know record keeping like that, taking names and so forth of passengers, um, wasn't done that much. So we have the, the earliest passenger lists. We have the names of Irish migrants coming to Newfoundland come from Butler's Ledger. In 1754, uh, returning from Ferryland, which is south of St. John's, to Waterford, there are some 40 passengers named, and it gives all the details of how they're paid and Walter Butler handling their bills of exchange and so forth in Waterford to convert them into coin because they, the young men would be innumerate and illiterate. And they wouldn't trust paper money at all, bills of exchange, like your Bank of Montreal check. So his job would be in Waterford when he brought the men home, the passengers. He would deal with the, the merchants on whom the, the bills of exchange were drawn. And he would then, he would kind of cash, cash the bill and give the young men coin, gold sovereigns instead, which they understood because they're tangible and they, they, they understood coin, but not not paper money. Now, now, John, that was his role. That was his role. Yeah, you are. You and I are old enough, probably, to know, because uh, I started my career banking, so I actually know what a bill of exchange is. But there's a lot of people out there 
who no. wouldn't have a clue. No, what a clue. No, no, they don't. And, uh, you know, it took me ages with his, his hundreds upon hundreds of bills of exchange drawn. Butler himself, you know, like when, he, when he's collecting his provisions, his pork, beef, butter, bread, etc., in Waterford, uh, he would pay the suppliers, who would be merchants and artisans and traders, butchers and others, who would give him meat, and he would pay by bill of exchange if the amount was fairly substantial, like let's say a pound, two pounds, three pounds or more. Uh, and these bills are recorded, be drawn, bill of exchange. And then he would also, uh, in, in Newfoundland, he would draw bills on the Newfoundland planters. So we get a huge number of names of suppliers, okay, of be it provisions or fish to, to Butler. And also, of course, his, his own sailors. He has magnificent accounts of, um, of his sailors. He would have six to ten sailors uh, each year. And at the end of the season, when he went back from Newfoundland to Waterford, he would let them go, he would pay them off, and they would hardly ever reappear. So the, the turnover was amazing. So we have all these names of the sailors. They're nearly all, they're all Irish Catholic names in the southeast, very familiar names. And they, you know, probably Waterford City and within 20 miles of it or so. And these, so we have these nominal, this nominal record of names of very early Waterford mariners in the transatlantic trade. And the other thing you mentioned then that he is, it was predominantly or, or very much um, a passenger. <clears throat> he made his money from passengers. So when you look at what you were able to get off the passenger lists, demographically, or were you looking at predominantly young males or were yeah. fam- families? Yeah, we don't get much on their ages, if, if anything, from from Walter Butler, but from other sources we have, of course. They were between 18 and 23, 24 years old. It was a young man's game. Once you went up to 25, certainly to 30, there were very few seasonal migrants coming to the fishery. It was, it was, they were young. They were single. They would be almost all illiterate and innumerate. They couldn't add or subtract or manage. That's, Butler would do that for them. And so that, you know, and there were almost all men. There are hardly any women. I'm afraid this is not a, a book for people who are interested in women, women's studies. Uh, we have some in Waterford, some women, widows or others who would be merchants, traders, selling and washer women. We have those and so on, but not, not many and not many named. You know, it's almost entirely young men. Yeah, so consequently, I suppose you would say they were footloose and fancy free. So so when they arrived on on the shores of Newfoundland, if um, some young lady took their fancy, there was no incentive to go home. That's true. It would be difficult to meet a young lady. The the ratio of men to, to women in 1750 in Newfoundland was something like eight to one in summer. Eight men for each female, so so there was there was a good incentive to go home. I I think so. Yes, yes. yes. Right. And, but gradually, gradually they they stayed, and that's the peopling of Newfoundland. You know, we have half the population uh, of Newfoundland in 1836 was was Catholic Irish, and the others were nearly entirely West Country English Anglicans. So you know, they stayed, and they. Uh, eventually, the state. Yes. 
Now, we know there's three big names that would have come from Waterford down in Newfoundland. You have the Powers, you have the Hearns, or the Aherns, oh, yeah. and, the, and the O'Briens. What, yes, other, we... what, what other big would have been strong southeast Well, uh, the, the leading name is Walsh, or Welsh. Oh, yes. And Walter Butler's own wife was Catherine Welsh, a Waterford city woman, almost certainly. Uh, the next one is Power. The Welshes came from South Kilkenny. By another. We've mapped them. We've mapped the names of hundreds and hundreds of Welshes and, and hundreds and hundreds of powers in Newfoundland. And they, the powers almost entirely, or mainly, are from County Waterford, and within that, in the middle third of the county, the power country, which would be over by Kilmac Thomas, Coramore, yeah. and along there, you know, uh, the, the middle one-third of Waterford. And then the, the next names then would be Whelan, who's very big, Whelan could be Phelan, P-H-E-L-A-N or W-H-E-L, or more usually Whelan, W-H-A-L-E-N. The, the spelling is quite archaic, and even their pronunciation to this day of Irish names, like they will not say O-D, they'll say O-Day. They'll not say O'Leary, they'll say O'Leary. And these kind of old, old-fashioned old pronunciations that we had in Ireland in the 1950s and 60s, um, it, it's... Unchanged here, they have it. They still have the name. So you have all the names. Like uh, I'm trying to think of other names that we've done a whole slew of. Of, of we've over a thousand, um, Austin, a thousand different surnames in Newfoundland. By that I mean Welsh would be one, Power a second. It's it's hard to believe that over a thousand, and they almost entirely from the southeast of, of Ireland. And one of the reasons for that is that the southeast of Ireland was colonized. Well, first of all, by the Gaelic people, uh, the Gaels, the, the Celt- Celtic peoples. And then you have the Norse, or Viking, in Waterford and southeast. And then you have the Anglo-Normans in force in the 13th century. And then you have the New English, like Waterford City was about one-third English, Protestant, Anglican, whatever, from the 17th century plantations. So you have a huge diversity of names in the southeast. Much more than we would have in Ballinasloe or Dunmore. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. So, yeah. in that sense, we we've been working on the surnames all our life, and we have this uh, the Manion collection, which we are going to will be launched uh, in water in in Cork by the uh, Prime Minister by the Thysia. Is that's what it's about? It's about over possibly a quarter of a million names uh, so before... 17, in eighteen fifty. Yeah. Before we, pro- before we get to, to Cork, tell us you're on your way over to Waterford as well at the beginning of September. In order yes, we to, are. Yeah, so you, you're going to have the launch of the Waterford's Maritime yes, World. With Eamon McEnany at Treasures, yes. Fantastic. Now, that's, where, that's, that's uh, on Monday, the, um, the 5th of September at 7.30 p.m., Waterford Treasures. Fantastic. Now, where did you get your hands on the ledger? The ledger uh, was and is the original ledger at, at the public record office in London, Q, K-E-W. Right. And uh, it's probably, it was Walter Butler in the end, after seven years of voyaging, uh, his last voyage was from Waterford to Cadiz in Spain, where he had been two or three times before. And his ship was captured by the French. This was 1757. And the Seven Years' War between France and England had broken out. So the French captured the Catherine. And um, Walter Butler wrote from Cadiz 
that his ship had been taken. He wrote his insurers uh, that his ship had been taken and that he was loading a second vessel. He had a share in a second vessel. Now, the, the ledger was retained by Butler. Otherwise, we wouldn't have it. If, if the French made off with it, you'd never see it again or it would be in a French archive. It was, and his, his second, the second ship in 57 in May or the going to Waterford was captured by the British. <laughs> and uh, the second ship, and we think this is how the ledger ends up in the Admiralty record, uh, the British Admiralty in London. At where it probably has been sitting since 1757, and it's at Kew, and and we we got a copy. I I heard about the ledger about the year 2000. I was many years at work before I even heard of it, and nobody had written anything much anything on it. So I got the archivist at Memorial University, Heather Wareham, uh, at the Maritime History Centre at Memorial, to see if she could get a, a microfilm copy. And she did. And from that, I got a print of the ledger. It's about 100 pages, fool's cap. And uh, I've had that ever since. But it, it sat in my office, Austin, for 10 years because I was doing other stuff. And I looked at it occasionally and say, you know, this is fascinating, but I had other other stuff to do. So it took me until about 2012 before I seriously got into it with the assistance of Moore and my wife. And we began to look at it. And I'd never studied a ledger before. We had to learn how to study it because it's a, a complex document and uh, trying to find out what he's doing. And, you know, with all these bills of exchange and money and converting, you know, sterling, converting um, French leave to sterling and converting British sterling to Irish money. The, the, the Irish uh, shilling was it was 13 pennies. The English selling 12 pennies. So he had to convert stuff all the time. He does all of this, never made a mistake. Hundreds upon hundreds of calculations over seven years. Um, sub Subtotals, adding pounds, shillings and pence. And never, hardly ever an error. So hey. he was he was impressively numerous. But I don't know where he would be educated, possibly in Waterford City. But, you know, he was an educated man. And he, we have his letters also. You used to know there, the word. There are letters in the ledger. Yes, there are letters in the ledger to his insurers, who are Boyds of London, B-O-Y-D, right. who, who had Waterford ancestry. Um, right. And they, you could confuse them with Lloyds, the great insurers, but they're yeah. different. So he has 30 letters to Boyds over the seven years, and they're very instructive, you know, to, um, asking for insurance for a ship to go such and such a place and how much to insure it for and what cargo you'd have, and so on. The usual insurance, marine yeah, insurance. Yeah, yeah. Um, you used to know the word there I haven't heard in a long, long time, fool's cap. Yes, true. Eight, eight by 14. <laughs> yeah, eight by 14. And, and it's as you said it. I was wondering, where did they come up with? Why was it called a I fool's cap? I don't know. Yes, <laughs> a fool's cap, yeah. Yes. Uh, we, they're still around. I still use them, you know. Yeah, I, but... I, but but we don't why we we don't that was now it became legal now that would be the legal sheet now wouldn't yeah it? well nobody yes. would know the word much anymore no. page I don't think so I don't no. think so I use them for genealogies because they're right. long they're yes. forty long so yeah. I use them for family trees yeah yeah but I haven't yeah. heard that word in a long time no 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 <laughs> well you get lots of words Austin from from us here on that are 
archaic. Yeah, well, when you mentioned that again, you talked about the use of the language in Newfoundland and that uh, the spoken word and the accent. Many of the words would have translated over or would not have been lost. So there would be part of the Newfoundland dialect that would be true to what was the southeastern dialect from back then. Yes, the English dialect, yes, it's it's, um, full of of 18th century. Um, English has spoken in Waterford. We get that from Water, but there's ledger. We don't have a spoken word, but his writings, how he frames things. Now, it's interesting in his letters and his hundreds and hundreds of transactions, there's no Irish word, not a single Gaelic word in the entire ledger. Right. And uh, I think the, the Waterford Catholic merchants, they were quite anglicized, their business methods and the composition of the ledger. Uh, its its um, organization is borrowed from the from the English merchants from the West Country, and right. they have the same way of debits and credits, and you know the the whole thing is is organized. It's it's like a British document, right? And right. only occasionally you do get in Walter Butler, he will in his writings like he will use bold, b o u l d for bold, yes, and uh, and sold, s o u l d for sold, and so on. And this is. This is, Waterford, this is Waterford English has spoken at the time and with a with a uh, an accent. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, this, this that way. So you mentioned also that you have um, that uh, your collection will be uh, featured in Cork and the Taoiseach will be there. That's uh, correct. That's after yeah. after now Waterford. This, this is the collection. It's not the book. Yes, the collection. We have two things on the go. This, we're having two launches. Right. <laughs> One in Cork on the collection, the Mannion collection, which you can get. It's online. You can, if you want to look at it, just type in mannioncollection.ca and you've got it. And uh, and then uh, the, the book is with Eamon in, in Waterford. Yeah. Right. So the yeah, the Thesia has agreed uh, to do it. I was amazed. I didn't, you know, Wally Kerwin, my good friend, who was head of the Irish Newfoundland Collections, a, a, a career civil servant who's retired now, but he knows absolutely everybody, including, I think, the, the Thesia secretary. And uh, he, I think he was pestered her so much that that Michal Martin agreed to do it. That that's that's a guess. I shouldn't be saying this on radio. Uh, <laughs> it's okay. Anyway. It's it's on his home turf, so I'm sure he would want yeah. to. Oh, yeah. Yes. And, oh, uh, so and Michal Martin, has, yeah, he's agreed to do it. I was amazed, but yeah. he's agreed to do it. Yeah. Which and means, of course, it does mean it probably means a lot of publicity for the collection. You know. Yeah. Because whenever the Thesha goes. A whole squad of journalists will follow him, you know. So, you know, so we, we are expecting to have a good bit of publicity on this on September 5. We'll see. We'll see. Excellent. Now, you did mention the Iron Newfoundland connection. And again, that has been somewhat, I won't say formalized, but it has been it's some a bit of structure was put on it there a number of years back. And as a yes. result, particularly with the southeast and with Newfoundland, that is it every yes. second year or every that by the yes. Yes, the yeah, it's now called Connections. It was it began with the Irish Business a Memorandum of Understanding with the Irish Business Partnership. That goes way back to John Bruton uh, when he was Thesia. And John was here in, 19, in the 70s. He stayed with us in our house here in St. John's. He'd come to the Olympics to Montreal and he wanted to see Newfoundland, so he came here. And he always had a liking for, he always wanted some formal connection between between Ireland and Newfoundland. And and so the memorandum of understanding, the MOU, was drawn up, and that it was mainly a business 
a business um, organization where businessmen from especially from Waterford uh, would come over and and businessmen from St. John's would go over. But it, it broadened out then to in, embrace culture and heritage and it gradually morphed into the into what we call connections, which is now very active with Wally Kerwin and Eamon Murphy and Waterford and Conan Power and Waterford and then a, a whole bunch here in, in St. John's. And um, they the toing and froing, as you mentioned, the, um, the, they call it the gathering now. And the gathering has been going on for more than 10 years. And oh, hundreds upon hundreds have come each, each way over the 10 years. You'd have up to one year we were there many years ago. And I gave lectures to the group in Waterford and in, in, um, in Wexford and Kilkenny. And there were over 108 from Newfoundland that, that particular year. So it's huge. It was huge. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I think an old schoolmate of mine would have been the minister at the time, Noel Tracy. Oh, I know Noel well. He's a, another man from your country, Balnas. So he died that's recently. That, yes, uh, that's right. Noel, I've met Noel many times. Yes. And, uh, he was, he represents John Moore. He did, yes. yes. Yeah, yeah, he was here in St. John's and, you know, knew yeah. him very well, Noel. Yeah, and he was a great supporter of the Ireland Newfoundland Partnership. He was indeed. Noel, he was, yeah. yeah, he was indeed. A great talker, a great man to talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was great great man for GAA he really loved oh, totally yes. totally GAA yes because yeah. Yeah. So, I think yeah. he ended up the chairman of the Galway County Board I think he did I think yeah. he did yeah yeah. yeah. He, he left politics well he, he was a minister as you say and that's then right he, he took some other route I think after but he only died a, a year ago actually. that's right that's right that was very I, I sad Wally Kerwin was at his funeral. It's a coincidence. Yeah. A year ago, Wally, my good friend in Irish Newfoundland Connections in Dublin. And that's where he pinned down Michal Martin <laughs> at the funeral to ask him would he, would he do the launch of the Mannion Collection. This was as they were putting Noel in the ground. <laughs> well, I know, I know Michal Martin. Wally, Michal and, and Noel had a good relationship because oh, I, yes, I, yes. I was, I was with Noel one day in the doll. At, and he pulled Michal Martin aside to introduce me to, to Michal and Michal. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's right. Yeah. 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 John, we should. Yeah, go ahead. We should wrap up. And if people want yes. to get their hands on the book, it's at the Four Courts Press. But where should they go to, to get it? Four Courts Press. Yeah. So to do a search for Waterford's Maritime World, and it's the ledger yes, of Walter I, Butler. Written That's by John, right. it's by John Mannion, and it's at yes. the Four Courts Press. Four Courts Press, I think it's .ie, Four Courts. But if you type yes. in Four Courts Press, the rest will it'll, come up. I'll bring it up. And if and you're then, in and around Waterford on the 5th of September, That's right. you head down to the Waterford Treasures, and then yeah. head over to Cork. Uh, and yeah. at that and meet, meet, meet Athisha. There you go. <laughs> where, in, where in Cork are you, John? We think it's at, University, at the Gluckman Centre. University College Cork, but right now they're just scouting that out for a location. You know, and, the, the connection, connections in, in Waterford, they're over there right now. Certainly, I one. think it's UCC. We think UCC, but we'll know in a day or two. Fantastic, John. It's been wonderful chatting. Congratulations, and okay. hopefully, yeah. you that that uh, everything is memorable, uh, and I'm sure it will be when you get to Waterford and Cork. And it's oh, uh, it it's, will. It's it will been be, a real yeah. pleasure chatting. And to think, two Galway men talking on in Canada, from Newfoundland and Ottawa. And there you go. And we, we, we that's, that's, I'm not saying it's unique, but it doesn't happen every day. No, not every day. <laughs>